0: Pray with me, Heavenly Father. We can't help but be convicted by the words of Scripture today, and realize that but for the grace of God, we fall and we fail, and we have fallen and failed many times. That each one of us have fallen far short of Your glory, Lord. That by Your holiness, bears so that the world can see what You're like. And we pray, Lord, that by Your Holy Spirit on this All Saints Day. That some of the gift of that would return to us, that you might be seen and you might be glorified through our lives. We pray this in your holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So we uh, today we're going to complete our sermon series on fully alive. And you may remember that we began our sermon series talking about um, the call of man and woman to reflect the image of God in creation. And that when we are really doing that, um, there's a chance that God might be seen through us. And that one of the ways that we understand what it means to be human is that we are creatures made in God's image who are meant to adore Him. And um, one of the ways of expressing that, we all often talk about Homo sapiens, you know, but one of the early church fathers understood us primarily as adoring creatures. And we're supposed to be so in love with God and so shining with His light and adoration of Him that through that, we become really who we are. We're fully alive. And we also manifest Him in the world when we live that way. It's a very passionate way to be, adoration. I mean, doesn't that's a very strong word. If you adore something, you intensely love it. There's that kind of intensity to it. I mean, it's a really, really bright, hot, white hot, maybe even flame. To think about adoration. And I would think, especially on a, on a day like today, all saints, in some ways, we're, we're trying to live back into that. I mean, we're wearing these white garments and you see that up there and it's supposed to be a picture of the real call to, to live out the light of Christ and to be so permeated with his holiness in love of him that all other things are set in order. All the things that are in disorder are set in order. Well, today we're going to be talking about human sexuality and um, there's a lot of different ways to talk about this. Man, what a... What, what a minefield to try and walk through in our day and age, you know? There's such an understanding of sexuality that's just so different from the biblical understanding. It's hard to encompass it. It's hard to get our, our heads wrapped around it. Uh, the way we think about it these days in the culture is that much different. It's like reading scripture, like some of the stuff that we read today, it's really almost alienated, alienating compared to what we hear. It's that different. And if you really buy into the scripture, you're going to feel like an alien in this culture. And you're also going to be afraid that you're being very judgmental. And none of those things, um, in terms of feeling like you're being judgmental, have to be true. And I pray that they won't be true, because we've seen the dark side of that, to be sure. Um, But there is a word here for us, and there is a call here for us. It's actually, it's quite beautiful, it's quite profound, and it's actually a truth that will set us free into the liberty and the joy of worshiping God and being creatures of adoration. And so I'm hoping that we can grasp some of that. And um, it's going to require that we look um, a little bit at the problems associated with human sexuality and what it really means to have an identity today. Um, I want to begin by sharing a story that came to mind. Um, Some of you probably recall that... um, Jeannie and I were in a healing ministry for many years, and the healing ministry um, was, it, it often addressed people with, who had various kinds of psychological distress. These people were really deeply depressed, perhaps suicidal, maybe struggled with anxiety. I mean, I remember praying with folks, different diagnoses, different um, personality disorders, bipolar disorder, everything under the sun, but also a lot of folks who struggled with various kinds of sexual brokenness. And really being stuck in that place and not knowing how to get out and yet wanting to follow Jesus. And uh, this was back in the days before it had become so politicized and um, now we tend to view it primarily through identity and politics, right? And those two words have come together even. But this particular young man that I was praying with, he had, had a unique struggle. I'm not even gonna name it for you. Um, He had for years lived with a particular kind of sexual, um, I guess you could say, habit and a a sexual disposition. Um, We might today call it an orientation of sorts, except it wasn't one of the orientations that had a letter associated with it, and it still doesn't have a letter. It was that rare, and it was that shameful for him. I mean, his entire sexuality had been kind of co-opted by some really brutal experiences when he was young. And it was was wreaking havoc on his soul and just taking him down into such a place of despair that he was practically suicidal and wondered if he should end his life. And that was the bent of his sexuality. And he would have said, it's bent, it's broken, it's not the way I want it to be and I don't feel free in it. And he wasn't... He knew that he was not going to be given a free pass in our day and age. It was not one of the, the versions of sexuality that would be countenanced and given almost a tribal identity. Like, you get a letter in the, in the various letters of different kinds of sexualities. You get a letter, no, nope, this guy would not have gotten one. He would have been disdained and held in contempt. And I, I just, my, my heart broke for this young man because, I mean, he, he wanted to follow Jesus, and he found it was just almost impossible. And as we were praying, his heart began to be taken back into a very deep memory. He had he had, had his, his um, family members tell him the kind of context in which he grew up as a baby. He didn't really know it, but his mother had been a crack addict. He had no memories of this. But he would be found in the crib having had nobody come to take care of him at all covered with his own soiling, so unattended and so unloved. And in that place of abandonment and neglect, there had been a real major disruption in his heart and his soul. And then when he became a teenager, all of that disruption kind of got, all the passions of human sexuality that were awakened at that point got twisted into it. The brokenness got pulled right into it. And in his sexuality, it was his way of trying to solve the problem of the pain, of the abandonment and the neglect that he had experienced. And it was horrifying what he had experienced. It was horrifying. And um, he began to see, as we were praying in the spirit, the Lord Jesus come into his room, pick him up in his arms, and begin to clean him and begin to tenderly take care of him and then clean up his room and that he loved him and that he saw him as a beautiful little baby boy that he wanted to grow up to be like him. And he just wept and I wept because Jesus' love can penetrate that deeply. And in that day, something got unlocked, something that was so locked in for him that he felt like, man, this is my destiny and it's gonna drive me right to death. Something got unlocked for him. And he was set free. And I've, uh, you know, there's been a few times when I've seen people in a state of joy because they've been set free, and that was, that was definitely one of them. We would get letters back from people, and his, his was one of the letters about the transformation that had begun in his life. Um, but it didn't come by saying, you know, this is who you are, and this is just how you're supposed to be. There was something in this young man... I actually think his name was John, something in this young man named John that was willing to say, You know, this is how I am and this is how I've been. And I know the Lord loves me and he's calling me to be holy. And yet, unless he comes in, I don't have a chance. But he wanted to have a chance. And he also realized if I just let my inclinations dictate how I live out my life, it's going to lead to destruction and it is destroying me. There's a, there was something in his heart at the beginning that said, I can't live, but I want to live. I don't know how to live, but help me learn how to live. There was a basic willingness to say, God, I want you to speak into my life and tell me who I am and how I am to be. There was something about that. It, we see this in our, our, in our Leviticus passage this morning. We see that what... What is true of the Israelites is that they have to root their identity in God. They have to root their identity in God. And so you've heard me say this before. Unlike our current culture, we don't root our identities in our sexuality. I don't care what kind of sexuality you have. Even if you have the so-called free passive heterosexuality and that's your inclination. I, I have not prayed with a single man or woman who in some way, shape, or form is not distorted in their sexuality. And they begin to be distorted in their sexuality when they think that that's the foundation of their identity. They've rooted themselves in their sexuality. And that is not the root and ground of all being. It's an expression of life that's meant to be oriented to life in the call to be fruitful and multiply. And that, when it's set in order, is a beautiful thing. Human sexuality is all over the map until we come into God's family and He restores to us the possibility of being like Him and manifesting a way of life that's like Him. Um, I, I came across some research. Um, it's probably about 10 to 15 years ago. I don't know how long. I'm not too good at time. But um, one of the things that's true, and you see this embedded in the Leviticus scripture is that the cultures that didn't know the God of the Hebrews, I mean, their sexuality was all over the map. It was what they call polyvalent. It had many different values and it could go many different directions. And we see that that's still true of humanity. Apart from God, sexuality is extremely powerful and it can go a lot of different directions. Um, I think it's especially true of men. Um, One of our friends who's been in the healing ministry for many years is male sexuality in particular can go any direction. Female sexuality is a little bit more complex because it tends to be a little bit more holistic. So the idolatry there will be connected to relationship much more. Um, Men can separate themselves from their body and just enter into pleasure. And that's why they can do it in all kinds of crazy, corrupted ways. Women tend to be a little bit more holistic in their versions of it. Although these days, I don't know if there's that much difference. Um, the use of, of um, the images on the internet that you guys know what I'm talking about. I can't, we've got some young folks in here that people are using to make their way out of their pain in a false form of comfort. It's just as common now in women in the latest statistics that I've heard as it is in men. The distortion is rampant. But we're called to a different way of being. And you see that with the Israelites. You're not, you're not supposed to live that way. That is the way that's common to man. But now when you know the holy God of Israel, there's a different way. And it continues in the church. I mean, we saw that it was, is continued. By the way, there's a whole list of corruptions of sexuality that we did not include in the Leviticus reading. If you're interested, you could go there. I actually find the versions of sexuality that are off the rails not interesting anymore. And I've heard it all in confession. It's, in fact, it's very boring. It's very sad. There's so many different versions of it. You can see a long list of them. Right? And I'm, I'm definitely not picking out one version of sexuality that's broken because there's so many versions. And each one of us sitting in this room have a version of sexuality that's broken in one way, shape, or form. And if we're honest before God, we need to come to him the way my friend John did that one day. Lord, help me to live into the truth of how you made me really to be. Help me to take this life force and not have it take over my life and not let me worship that in lieu of you. And that's what Romans makes clear, is that this powerful life force, because it is so powerful, becomes a god. And we substitute the worship of a creature instead of the creator. And we can't do that and be who we really are. We're no longer adoring creatures of God at that point. Instead, we've followed something else. Um... You know, the early church continued in this way, by the way. I think if we want to just make it very clear, the early church never loosened up on this stuff. And it may not be what we want to hear all the time, especially if we're caught up in the the grips of some kind of an addiction. But um, the very first church council was dealing with some of these questions. And one of the things that they came down very clear on in Jerusalem in the very first church council was that the, the 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 Gentiles, that's us, who are coming into the kingdom, they were called to the same kind of purity and holiness that the Jews were called to. It's like, don't give yourselves over to sexual impurity and also give to the poor. And those were the two main instructions. And I think the early church really lived it out. There's that famous saying from Josephus, who's the early Christian historian, and he said the thing that was so amazing about the Christians is that they shared everything, like they gave to the poor. They shared everything, except for their wives. That was really unique back then. Their sexuality had been brought into a holy corridor of life, and it was giving life. And it was so remarkable that their light was shining in an unmuted way in that day and age. That was really rare. And it is rare when we live into this and we're set into the freedom of it. And our identity is rooted in Jesus and God. It's much easier to live in a different way. I think one of the things, too, that happens is um, we... When we start to pursue a way of sexuality, and I want to get into a little bit of the cause, the causes here of a broken sexuality, in my experience as a pastor, right? I know there's been a lot of psychological studies that go on this, but my experience as a pastor is almost rooted in, always rooted in something like what I described with John. John had a major, major disruption in his relationship with his mom and an experience of unbelievable neglect. So the rest of his life, he was trying to fix it. Is trying to come up with a way of solving it. And sexuality is so powerful. It's almost like, you know, trying to use a... It, it almost it has like a magical effect. If you can reconstruct the basic disruption of your heart, and you can put it within a sexual context, and then have a sexual experience, it's almost like you're solving your problem. And you get a rush of dopamine, is literally what happens. It's, it's brain candy. And it comes into your mind and it comes into your brain and it gives you a sense of release. And you can kind of imagine, well, maybe this is how I'm healing my soul. It's very, very powerful. And every single case of a person I bro- that I prayed with who had extremely broken version of sexuality, that was there. There was a broken attachment deep, deep, deep down in their soul. And part of the healing, therefore, is getting their attachments set right and their relationships set right with God, first of all, and then everything cascades down from there. Everything else gets set in order from there. If we get our first love of God correct, then all these other loves get set in order. That's how Augustine puts it. And so, um, the problem is, is that these kinds of pains are so painful, these disruptions in relationship are so hurtful, that it's intolerable to deal with, and you cannot heal at this level, I don't believe, apart from the grace of God. You know, they, they, they've done some MRIs, and that what they'll say is that these kinds of deep-level breaks in relationship are so intensely painful that there is no human pain that's worse than the kind of pain that I'm describing. And so when we say folks get caught up in this and they're just trying to get some relief and they're just trying to find themselves, we're talking about the deepest level of pain. And so we can have a tremendous amount of compassion. And each of us in our broken sexuality often has something like this going on. Um, you know, there's, there's something about this kind of pain, too, that's I used the word magic before. The, the thing that John, I remember him describing, was when he gets caught up in his situation of temptation. It's almost like his eyes become unfocused. He he loses like a sense of being in the present, and it's almost like he enters into a dream state. And then the desire kicks in of the temptation. And it starts to, at that point, we know now, bathe the brain even then. As he starts to think about the temptation, his brain gets bathed in this dopamine, which is that brain candy, these endogenous morphines. And then it takes him all the way through to the end where he has to act it out. That's how addiction works. With the kinds of disruptions I'm talking about, that's often what's going on here. And it is inexorable. There's no way out of this unless there's massive transformation. You know, um, what happens in the human heart is that when we don't know God, who's the source of all living, who is the source of being, he's known in the Old Testament as I am. Well, we don't know him who is the source of living and therefore is the greatest reality and expression of life. That's why knowing him is considered joy. There's no other word. When we're with God, we're in a sense in Eden. That's called the Garden of Delight. It's a place of delight. And when we're with God in his presence, it so suffuses the mind with joy that it becomes a greater power for life. That is the very flame of Yahweh. That's how Song of Songs puts it. Song of Songs is like the Holy of Holies of, of the wisdom literature of the, New, of the Old Testament. And this is the love that's stronger than death. It's the very flame of Yah, of Yahweh. And when we come into that holy place and encounter the holy God, the forces of life and the forces of hope and the forces of joy in the midst of his warm love is so overwhelming that it can actually set these things in order that I'm talking about that are otherwise intractable and there is no solution apart from it. And I guess one of the things that I want to say is that The only way to deal with these ways in which hearts get off the rails, and it includes all of us, is to fight fire with fire. It's to fight fire with fire. It's to let the Lord in his Holy Spirit so suffuse your imagination and so take over your desire that everything else can be reset. Um... A lot of times the way that a a saint is described is is as a person of light. It's a person who's been in transfiguring light. And a saint is also somebody who's completely dedicated themselves to God. Uh, We talked about devotion in the the Sunday school class today. It's somebody who's wholly devoted to God. And that word is a really significant word. Devotion, the, the devoted gifts were things that were thrown on the fire to God. They were completely given over to God, totally given over to God. And so in some ways, one of the reasons I think that John began to come into a healing was because he wanted his heart to be completely God's and he knew that it wasn't. And he's like, I'm putting my heart in your holy presence. You guys remember the Old Testament story of Isaiah? Isaiah comes into the holy presence of God and he knows his heart is not right. And he knows that out of the abundance of his heart, unclean words have come Unclean just means, by the way, that it's not worthy of being in the presence of God. And so all of these passions that I'm describing that are off, they're unclean. They're not capable of being in the presence of God. They must be purified. They must be transfigured. They must be set on fire with a holy fire. And so we see that an angel takes that coal off the the holy pyre and puts it on his lips, and his lips are cleansed so that he can be a person with clean lips who can actually worship God and speak truth. And actually what I'm talking about in some ways is like take your heart and take all the passions of your heart. A lot of times the scriptures will talk about this. If you think about your own appetites, and I mean food appetites, sexual appetites, whatever, they come down here from the belly and the scriptures talk about the belly. And in the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, all of those parts of us in the center of our being, beneath this part of the, the main heart and the main central part of who we are. It's where all the feelings are located, all the longings, all the desires. All of those organs were completely God's in the sacrificial system. If you took a ram to the, to the temple to be sacrificed... A lot of it you could participate in. You, could, you can enjoy the meal with the priest if it was a particular kind of an offering. But the one thing that you could not was all of this on the inside. It was completely devoted to God. And so in some ways what I want to say is throw all of your passions and all of your desires and all of your thoughts on the holy fire of God. And let him transfigure you and let him transform you so that you can be reoriented to him and become truly who you are. Um, I think that um, that's sort of a fundamental decision. It's like, Lord, there's a lot of disordered desires in my heart, but I'm going to put my entire desire package on the altar, all of it. I'm going to devote it to you. I'm going to make it a burnt offering, but I need you to light it on fire. I need you to touch it with the holy fire of that pyre which is in heaven in the real temple, the invisible one, the one not made with human hands. And um, then he will set things in order. I think, too, that once you have that fundamental decision made, then you're able to enter into a way of worship. Then you're able to become a person of light. Um, One of the ways that Augustine describes a Christian is that they're an alleluia from head to toe. We say alleluia all the time, but um, one of the parts of that word, Yah, alleluia, that's Yahweh again. And it's, it's another way of saying, shine, Lord Jesus. Make me to be a person who shines with your holy presence. Make me to be a person who worships you. And hallelujah from head to toe. Make me a person who's so filled with the glory of God that I bear witness to it, even in my sexuality, and even in hope for sexuality, so that we can live a life that is free. Um, and then I think it's about continuing in this way, staying in the light, becoming a person who's all prayer. Uh, what I just described of being personal light, being one who shines with Yahweh's light, is a person who's always praying. A saint is one who's always praying. That doesn't mean we're always com- coming to a church service like this. We talked about that in Sunday school too. But we're so connected to God and so in communion with him that we are an eternal flame. Um, prayer in many ways is just orientation. So I'm back at that word. It's like, where, is our, where are our thoughts oriented? Where do we occupy our minds? And one of the, the ways that um, I was thinking about it in terms of light was there's this, um, I guess there's this, this, this way in which if you wake up with the morning sun and you go out and you look at it for a few minutes, it will reset the hormones in your body heard this from a guy who's done some research on it, and I, I don't know if all the science, Doc, you're going to have to tell me if the science is correct, but if you look at the light, it actually, if you wake up with the morning sun and you look at the light, it'll start triggering your brain to release certain neurotransmitters and things like hormones, so the wakefulness hormones, you wake up. I mean, I've felt that. I go out and I look at the morning sun, it just wakes me up. It goes right to the back of my, my optical nerve, and it wakes me up, and it sets things in order, and it begins to create hormones that will be later released at night, so your body starts producing melatonin, doesn't release it, so that late at night you can go to sleep. But you have to look at the sun. You have to behold the sun to do it. And I think in some ways, what are we occupying ourselves with? Our, Our thoughts are out of order because we're not looking to him who can set them in order. And our loves are disordered because we're not trusting him to set love in order and awaken it at the right time and help it to be focused on the right things and the right relationships. There's this um, picture of the, the way of worship that um, I think the, the high priest portrays. And when the high priest goes into this holy of holy place that I've been describing, he wears this thing on his, on his forehead and it's, it's holy to the Lord. And it's made of gold and it means that his mind is completely occupied with the presence of God. We can do, and we can live our lives with that orientation. Not that we're actually thinking thoughts, but the priest is busy and they're doing lots of different things to worship. And we can do a lot of different things in life to worship. But if our minds are given over to God and they're set apart to Him, then He can set other things in order. You know, we've been talking about fire, and one of the ways in which we come into the presence of God from the places of darkness is through our images. And John would often get triggered by an image that had an attached feeling to it, and then all of a sudden he's locked in on this path towards destruction. And one of the ways of prayer that we would teach folks was a way of healing of memories. Memories are so important. Jesus says, I want you to remember me. And we do that every week with the Eucharist. It's a way of centering our hearts and our thoughts and our desires in the Lord. But what about those memories that take us down the wrong path? It's in those situations where confession is so important. Um, We're gonna have a prayer time up here during the distribution. I think it'll be important for some of us to learn how to bring those thoughts into the presence of God so that he can transform them. There's a meaning behind them. There's a possibility of transformation. So we would pray and, you know, there's these typical temptations that would come into the minds of those who were struggling with different kinds of sexual brokenness and they would often be associated with images that had been beheld for a long time. Things that had been thought about again and again and vivified. And sexuality is the most powerful thing apart from God. And so they they were very powerful. And the only way to deal with them is to take those thoughts and those imaginations, those memories and put them into the hands of God and see what he did with them. And often it was a holy explosion and then a re-centering of reality in holiness. What do we do about our friends who aren't interested in everything that I talked about? I wanted to make sure I addressed this because we live in a world where um, these different ways of Sexuality are considered quite fundamental to identity. And I, I think that we take the stance of Paul. So we're not really here to judge those who aren't part of the family of God and who are not trying to follow in his ways. If you think about the words of the scriptures, they're the words coming from our Father in heaven and saying, if you're my children, you will live in the family ethos. And we have a family. Household code, and we have a way of life here. And if you want to be like the godly family that I'm calling you to be, be holy like me. I'm your father. Be different like me. I'm your father. And if, if you're talking to somebody who doesn't want that, then you're talking to somebody who actually can't live into what I'm describing, and it's actually unfair to impose upon them this call. Now, I think that you are called to help them meet Jesus. And then, when they decide they want to follow Jesus, then He can begin to deal with the heart and the heart and its brokenness and the way it gets off the rails. But you can't get the order wrong. And oftentimes, the church is out there leading with the wrong first line. Um, we're called to holiness, we're called to live a life that's like Him and he will transform us if we bring our entire hearts wholly devoted to him and if we occupy our minds with him and true ways of thinking and longing and and if we do that he will transform us from one glory to another god wants to create whole people who look like him we're divided our sexuality is divided from who we really are. He wants to bring it back together in wholeness and holiness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, these things are bigger than we are. And it's difficult to speak of them in this day and age when the culture is saying, well, this is who, who you are. You are your sexuality. And sexuality, Lord, is a great gift when it's set in order, according to the holy way that you made it to be, within the context of holy matrimony, to bring up kids who are made in your image to look like you as well. But Lord, apart from your spirit, we can't do this. We can't live into it. Lord, I pray that you would renew in us your holy and life-giving spirit. That as you promised to Ezekiel and to us through Ezekiel, that we would be able to carry out your commands. That you answered the prayer of David, that we would have a willing spirit when he made his confession about an incredible fall of adultery and murder. That you restored to him a willing spirit, one able to live out the call because of your presence So Lord, take not your holy presence from us, renew us in it, cleanse the thoughts and imaginations of our hearts, Lord Jesus. Lord, we give to you our whole heart. We throw them on the holy fire and we ask you to touch them and to transform our longings and our appetites. Lord, we hunger and thirst for your righteousness and we pray that you set in order every single part of our thoughts and our longings that we would be wholly attached to you who love us most of all. For you, are a good Father knows how to give good gifts, especially your Holy Spirit, that we would become an alleluia from head to toe, shining with your light. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and we pray you continue to minister to us. Minister hope, Lord, for these areas of struggle in our lives. Feed us with your holy and life-giving breakfast in your body and blood. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.